Hey everybody, it's Dan Dan, and today we are diving into a step study of step number nine. Step number nine. Step number nine is a, another very valuable and important step, as they all are. And if we're not careful, we will mess this thing up. We don't want to mess it up. Step nine occurs in your big book, right about page 77. And, and the, there's one really, there's really actually two things I like about it. One is that we don't go leading in with all the religious or spiritual concepts. Hey man, I found God. I got to I got to apologize for all my crummy stuff. And then and the other thing is that we are here to be of maximum service to God and our fellow man. Maximum service to God and our fellow man. For me, approaching step 9 in that way is something completely foreign because my instincts are like, "No, I'm doing step 9 for me. I want to get out from under all this junk I did." I don't want the pressures on me anymore. I don't want to feel funny when I see this or that person. I don't want to feel strange when someone mentions their name. I, I don't want any of that anymore. So that's why I'm doing it. And that's probably going to happen anyway. The reason why we do step nine, though, the reason why we clear our side of the street, the reason why we want to do all these things is as a demonstration for our higher power so that we can retain the authority, the authenticity, the position, the posture to help someone else, to reach back down into that pit of loneliness known as alcoholism, that, that first acronym of God, gift of desperation, and help someone else out. And if we don't clear away our own wreckage, how can we help someone else clear theirs? If we haven't done it, well, then we don't know how to show somebody how to do it. And that's the reason to do step nine. I, I approach the steps as training to save another's life. It'll save mine by accident. It'll happen because of spiritual laws, blah, blah, blah. What we don't want to do is get out there and preach this stuff or act like we done found religion. Like uh, like I think Ebby did right to Bill Wilson. I've got religion, old Bill, I'm ready. Anyway, he warns us against that. So step nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible. Critical line, except when to do so would, would injure them or others. And that's, you know, I don't know about you guys, but uh, when I read the second line, I was like, well, I'm pretty sure it's going to hurt everybody. So therefore, right? So he gets on in step nine, and it's really about clearing our side of the street so that we can be of maximum service to God and our fellow man. It has very little to do about relieving the pressures and emotions of myself, though that will happen. Let's go. Good judgment, a careful sense of timing, courage, and prudence. So that's what we got to bring to this. We've got all the other steps. Good judgment, a careful sense of timing, courage, and prudence. These are the qualities we shall need when we take step number nine. After we have made the list of people we have harmed, have reflected carefully upon each instance, so that's eight, and have tried to possess, have tried to possess ourselves of the right attitude, the right angle of approach, the right frame of mind in which to proceed, we will see that the making of direct amends divides those we should approach into several classes. So, but Bill, I thought it was of the ones that uh, wherever possible, and they're all impossible. And then the places I might harm others, you know, I don't want to do those. So that'd be nobody. I'm good. No, there's all sorts of classes, what he's telling us here. Uh, so he goes into it. There will be those who ought to be dealt with just as soon as we become reasonably confident that we can maintain our sobriety. For a lot of us, that's right away. A lot of us do step nine like on the way to the first AA meeting with this loved one who's carrying us off to a treatment center is going, I'm so sorry, I can't believe I've done this in my life. 
that emotional frothing, right? And we might still want to revisit that with them. Uh, there will be those two. There will be those who ought to be dealt with just as soon as we become reasonably confident that we can maintain our sobriety. There will be those two whom we can make only partial restitution, less complete disclosures to them or others, more harm than good. There will be other cases where action ought to be deferred, and still others in which, hmm, by the very nature of the situation. We shall never be able to make direct personal contact at all, like they passed away or something, right? Most of us begin making certain kinds of direct amends from the day we join. We just talked about that. Hmm, the day we joined Alcoholics Anonymous. The moment we tell our families that we are really going to try the program, the process has begun. Really going to try. That we've made an agreement with ourselves to do this thing willingness, the agreement, the commitments I make to myself to do something, right? What a wonderful thing that we're really going to try the program. This process of amends has begun. In this area, there are seldom any questions of timing or caution. Huh? <laughs> oh my goodness. Seldom any questions of timing or caution. We want to come in the door shouting the good news after coming from our first meeting, or perhaps after we have finished reading the book, Alcoholics Anonymous, we usually want to sit down with some member of the family and readily admit the damage we have done by our drinking. Almost always we want to go further and admit other defects that have made us hard to live with. This will be a very different occasion. And in sharp contrast with those hangover mornings, when we alternated between reviling ourselves, that's the loudly criticize, I'm just so bad, loudly criticize ourselves and blaming the family. I'm so bad because of you and what you said and what you do. You know, all that alcoholics were fantastic people. One, one thing between step eight and nine in the 12 and 12 is it's almost hilarious that anyone didn't just kill us. <laughs> you know, why did they just like pick us off? It, do you really scratch your head and go, oh, that road rage is terrible? Well, perhaps they're dealing with someone that's, well, like us, right? That's why it's a very different occasion. When we come with this true, authentic desire to make things right, it's a lot different than that hangover morning. Hmm. At, the at this first sitting, it is necessary, first sitting, uh, there's an indication there that there's going to be a second sitting. At this first sitting, it is necessary only that we make a general admission of our defects. It may be unwise at this stage to rehash certain harrowing episodes. Good judgment will suggest that we ought to take our time. While we may be quite willing, willing to reveal the very worst, we must be sure to remember that we cannot buy our own peace of mind at the expense of others. That's what we've been doing for so long in our life, right? We buy our own peace of mind at the expense of others. We lie, steal, cheat, pad the accounts, call names, put people down, use sarcasm, just bring debauchery into things, overreact, act grandiose. grandiose. We do all these things at the expense, the embarrassment, the financial cost, the emotional cost of trust against others. We must not do that. Much the same approach will apply at the office or factory. We shall at once think of a few people who know all about our drinking and who have been most affected by it. We all think of that. Wives, moms come right to mind. But even in these cases, we may need to use a little more discretion than we did with the family. We may not want to say anything for several weeks or longer. 
take a deep breath. Just, just relax for a second and get some of the skills of the steps under your belt. Practice them a little bit. Talk to other people. Find out what they said. Because I'm going to give you some phrases at the end of this that'll really, really help you make amends without going, I'm sorry. Because that doesn't mean anything. I'm sorry really means shut up. Shut up. And don't ever mention this again. And if you don't think so, think about how many times you said when you were sorry and then like the next day, they bring it up again. And your mind, whether you say it out loud, you're like, man, I said I was sorry. Because it meant shut up. This, this conversation's over. I'm not willing to discuss it anymore. And there's some other phrases we can use. There's some really powerful ones that I believe probably represent better how I felt and what I was thinking in the process of nine step amends with many people. So we'll get back to that really soon. It says, first, we will wish to be reasonably certain that we are on the AA beam, on the beam. People love to say that in meetings. Then we are ready to go to these people to tell them what AA is and what we are trying to do. Against this background, we can freely admit the damage we have done and make our apologies. So what is it that we're trying to do? We're clearing away the wreckage of the past. But what does that exactly mean? It means that we're going to acknowledge that we hurt this person, that we know we did it, and we're going to make some sort of a commitment. If it's to pay him back, to never do it again, to make up for it somehow if it's possible, or just to ask them, you know, what would it be that you would want me to do to make this right? And then whatever they ask, do it, you know, to make that commitment. So that's that's what we're going to do. Against this background, we can freely admit the damage we have done and make our apologies. We can pay or promise to pay whatever obligations, financial or otherwise, we owe. The generous response of most people to such quiet sincerity, that authenticity, will often astonish us because the selfish son of a guns, we wouldn't do that. We'd be like, oh, really? You'll do anything? Well, <laughs> let me think about that for like a month and I'll make a laundry list of stuff you can do. That's kind of how I think maybe, because I think the world owes me, right? I'm, I'm that person. I'm that selfish, self-centered person when I'm drinking. And now I'm encountering people that maybe aren't always that way. Consequently, they astonish me. Even our severest and most justified critics will frequently meet us more than halfway on the first trial. <laughs> this atmosphere of approval and praise is apt to be so exhilarating as to put us off balance by creating an insatiable appetite for more of the same. And I'll tell you what, I, that happened to me and I ran right on into that brick wall. Yeah, that brick wall for me as I made amends was this, this fancy place. It had racquetball and tennis going on and a movie theater and a little walk down by the river. And they call that federal prison. <laughs> it didn't matter. There was a way to make amends for sure. And I did it, but it did not get me completely free. They didn't put me on probation for the things I was doing. You know, I still have to pay the price. I still got to pay the price. It's not good enough to give it the lip service. I've got to pay the price. So, yeah, it's exhilarating. You may run right into a wall. Or we may be tipped over in the other direction when, in rare cases, we get a cool and skeptical reception. Just remember it's rare. Not everybody's going to do that. This will tempt us to argue. Oh, argue argue or press our point insistently. Self-righteousness. Arguing is driven by self-righteousness, and we don't want to be doing that. Or maybe it will tempt us to discouragement and pessimism. Whoo, that feeling of losing hope. This doesn't work. Or pessimism, you know, belief that things are just 
bad. This has gone all bad. It's gone all wrong. But if we have prepared ourselves well in advance, such reactions will not deflect us from our steady and even purpose. So it happens. It doesn't go the way you want. People don't deliver what you want them to deliver. You just move on. After taking this preliminary trial at making amends, we may enjoy such a sense of relief that we conclude our task is finished. Ah, I done did it. I'm I'm completely finished with step nine. You know, you don't ever finish with step nine. You got to live it out. You got to live it out. And for so many people I did a ninth step with, the answer is stay sober, stay sober, stay sober. And I, I suspect those of, those of us that are out there really working step nine and getting into it, they're going to hear the same thing. Stay sober, stay sober, stay sober. We will want to rest on our laurels, which is to rest on our past achievements that I've already done all these amends and they went so good. I don't want to mess that up again. The temptation to skip the more humiliating and dreaded meetings that still remain may be great. We will often manufacture plausible excuses for dodging these issues entirely. In step eight, it talked about going after this vigorously, vigorously, right now, hard, if we don't, we have a tendency to let it go. We start feeling better. We rest on our laurels, as it says. And then we just, just the, the, the gumption to do it fades. I experienced that myself. Or we may just procrastinate. We just delay doing the thing, telling ourselves the time is not yet. The timing's not right. I'm not ready. The timing's not right. I'll know when I feel it. God will show me, right? Stuff like that. When in reality, we have already passed up many a fine chance to right a serious wrong. Let's not talk prudence while practicing evasion. Let's not talk conservative by the direction's effort while we're intentionally avoiding the work. As soon as we begin to feel confident in our new way of life and have begun by our behavior and example through demonstration by doing it, authenticity, to convince those about us that we were indeed changing for the better, it is usually safe to talk in complete frankness. As frankness is the quality of being honest and rigorously honest terms with those who have been seriously affected, even those who may be only a little or not at all aware of what we have done to them. The only exceptions we will make will be cases where our disclosure would cause actual harm. So, you know, what's if you got an ex that's remarried, that might be one of those things. How much do you want to really dive in that might affect their current marriage? What does that new spouse have anything to do with this stuff that you need to get off your chest? Don't do that stuff. Become willing to do it. If faced with it, be ready to do it. But don't go striking out to get it done. That's where that willingness is so important. The direct amend can still be with yourself. And the direct amend can be partial. You can bring up generalities. It doesn't have to be specific, especially with someone like a spouse who probably knows exactly what you're talking about. So just, just keep that in mind. These conversations can begin in a casual or natural way, but if no such opportunity presents itself, if no such opportunity presents itself, if this thing doesn't just come sauntering on into your life, at some point, we will want to summon all our courage, head straight for that person concerned, and lay our cards on the table. We needn't wallow in excessive remorse before those we have harmed. It's not an emotional groveling, but amends at this level should always be forthright and generous. 
There can only be one consideration which should qualify our desire for a complete disclosure of the damage we have done. One, one consideration that will arise in the occasional situation where to make a full revelation would seriously harm the one to whom we are making amends. Or, quite as important, other people like that spouse we talked about. We cannot, for example, unload a detailed account of extramarital adventuring upon the shoulders of our unsuspecting wife or husband. And even in those cases where such a matter must be discussed, let's try to avoid harming third parties, whoever they may be. It does not lighten our burden when we recklessly make the crosses of others heavier. So important. You got to dump blame right on out of the table, right? So one, something you might want to think about as you go from the sixth step to the seventh step, we talked about God's trash can. And something that can just go into the trash can of God is your desire to blame other people for the problems you cause or the problems you have in your life, even when it is someone else's fault, particularly then. And you leverage that powerful, powerful spiritual tool, that incredible spiritual mental framework of forgiveness. It's incredible. Many a razor-edged question can arise in other departments of life where this same principle is involved. Suppose, for instance, that we have drunk up a good chunk of our firm's money, whether by a borrowing or on a heavily padded expense account. Suppose that this may continue to go undetected if we say nothing. Do we instantly confess our irregularities to the firm in the practical certain that we will be fired and become unemployable? Are we going to be so rigidly righteous about making amends that we don't care what happens to the family or home? Or do we first consult those who are to be gravely affected? Do we lay the matter before our sponsor or spiritual advisor, earnestly asking God's help and guidance? Hmm. Meanwhile, resolving to do the right thing when it becomes clear, cost what it may. Of course, there is no pat or there's no act of touching in a light way the answer. We can't just say, hey, just do this one, right? And it could be all those, you know. I would say in my experience with the ninth step, all those have come to play. There's no pat answer which can fit all such dilemmas, but all of them do require a complete willingness. We have to absolutely agree with ourselves without reservation that we are ready to do this when the opportunity comes to pass. Willingness to make amends as fast and as far as may be possible in a given set of conditions. Above all, we should try to be absolutely sure that we are not delaying because we are afraid. Because this is a scary thing. For the readiness to take the full consequences of our past acts and to take responsibility for the well-being of others at the same time is the very spirit of step nine. So, wow, you know, it's a really short step in the 12 and 12, and it's not really long in the big book either. And what I want to do is just bring you to this idea. And that is that it, it has to be done. It must be done. Step nine is admitting to God, to ourselves, to another human being, the nature of our wrongs, and then to the exact human being we did that wrong to. And it's the extension of that. And it takes going into step six and really figuring out these defects of character. It takes prayer of God, you know, God, let me go out and do your building. How do I, bidding, how do I be of maximum service to God and my fellow man. How do I do this? And the amends process is how you get started. It's one of the finest things you'll do. The fifth step takes off a burden. The sixth step kind of lumps it back on. The seventh step says, no, come out and do my work. Your, your higher power says, come do my work. 
In the A step, we're like, okay, the very first thing I'm gonna do is straighten this stuff out. And in the ninth step, we actually do the straightening out. I don't think I had any trouble with the ninth step, but writing that eighth step list, that was really honestly difficult. Just lots of blanks and ended up very long in the end. I don't think when I deliberately thought about it at first, I don't think I got 20 names down, right? Like I hadn't heard anybody. So here are some phrases instead of I'm sorry, right? If I had to do it over again, I would do it differently. I regret the way I treated you. It was wrong. You deserve better than that. I wish I hadn't done what I did. I care about you and you are important to me. You've been good to me. And I really know that was the wrong thing to do. I will not do it again. I will not do it again, looking someone dead in the eyes and then holding true to sobriety, working the program of AA, doing your very best to practice these principles in all your affairs will go a really long way, even in amends where things kind of fall apart, even in amends where they kind of fall apart. So as you get into step nine and we think about what this really means, here's a question that you may want to ask. If you're in a group or you're meeting with your sponsor, one thing it tells us not to do is to delay this out of fear. And that fear, my acronym for fear is friends, enemies, associates, and relatives. It's people. That's who we're afraid of. And I discovered that here in eight and nine, right? Friends, enemies, associates, and relatives. That's exactly what they're talking about. These are the people we're going to sit down and talk to. If fear is on your mind, please take its power away. Talk about it. Talk about it. And if you've been through this and you believe you've done as best you can, talk about that experience. How did you feel going in? What were you thinking and feeling coming out? Because we truly are on this mission to be of maximum service to God and our fellow man. So I'll tell you a quick story. Here's my ninth step challenge. Here's where I bumped into it. I'm going through the ninth step with my sponsor. I'm facing... 19 years and eight months in federal prison, according to a sentencing guideline I had received in the mail unceremoniously, right? You just open up this letter. It's like, oh, by the way, we're recommending that you go to prison for 20 years. <laughs> yeah, that's real nice. And, and I was scared. I was totally fearful. I was petrified. So I was fighting the federal government. I was going to lose. I did so much more than they were accusing me of. And somewhere along the way, it occurred to me, it was like, wow, you know what? You've got to plead guilty. You're dragging your wife and your kids and your relatives and your friends all through this fight that you can't win because you did what they're saying and quite a bit more. You can't win. So I called my lawyer and I said, uh, oh, I called my sponsor. And I said, hey, here in the big book, it says, even if I got to go to jail, I'm supposed to straighten this out. He didn't say anything. And he said, read it again. So I read it again. It says I got to go to, even if, what, even if I got to go to jail, you know what I'm facing. He said, read it again. I read it again. And he asked me, what don't you get about that? Why are you asking me? Two weeks later, I called my lawyer and my lawyer was in his office on a Saturday morning, answered the phone himself. And as God would have it as the higher power to arrange things, I said, hey, what are you doing in the office this morning? He said, sitting here thinking about you. And I said, well, you know, I can't deal with this anymore. I got a plea. I got a plea. He said, that's interesting. And I said, why? And he said, because I was just on the phone with the 
lead prosecutor in your case. He's willing to settle for this charge, which had a maximum of five years. Boy, I couldn't pack my bags fast enough to get to that town in Louisiana and get this thing done. Five years versus 20, I'm sold. I didn't care what the charge was. I was doing it. And, and that's the thing. It, it, the moment I became willing, God had already put into place all the things that were going to be necessary. And I'm not saying that people will always get out of prison time. I'm saying that there is a way through the things that haunt you. There is a way through the things that haunt you. And step nine is the ending point of that way. It is where the light at the end of the tunnel sits. It is worth four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine to get the peace of mind, the authenticity of faith that really works in your life. Please go after it. As you go through this discussion today, remember this. This isn't something you have to achieve right now. You've got your buckets out of step eight, the ones you're going to do right now. You got the ones you're going to do later. You got the ones that you may or may not do, and then you got the ones that you're never going to do. Work with your sponsor and get through these things. It is so worth it. It is the greatest thing ever. It's so freeing. And then 10, 11, and 12, you're going to be living this life. I hope you have a great discussion.